This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. Fansets. We are Star Trek. Harry Mud. Harry Mud. And, well, Harry Mud. The Escape Artist, the fourth and final episode of Short Treks, has come and gone and gave us a worthy send-off to these short Star Trek stories. Rain Wilson showed us in Discovery Season 1 that he could play the legendary hardcore Fenton Mud with brilliance and pizzazz, and with an entire story focusing in on this dastardly character, could we actually be wishing for more mud at this point? Well, let's find out. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. The Escape Artist wrapped up our four-mini episode jaunt in the Star Trek universe, and I, for one, loved this send-off. Mixing a great story with superb acting and directing by Rain Wilson, plus an added bonus of lots of humor, something that we don't see a lot of in Star Trek. And this host was as happy as a bunch of identical androids stuck together in a holding cell. As always, this is the premier podcast to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about our favorite spore-jumping starship and her crew. And whether it's a full episode or a 15-minute short trek, we are here to break it all down, give give you our opinions, and look ahead to what we think might happen next. And as always, when I say we, well, it's time to introduce my irreplaceable co-host. Oh, how I wish I could find some planet to build countless Android replicas of him. I just sit back and drink jippers on a beach while he did all the work. But I guess it's not meant to be. After all, I find the one quite adequate. Little who mourns for Adonais quote there for you. He's my very special friend. He's my brother in Trek. He is the one and he is the only Bill Smith. Bill, uh, I guess uh, you could say that this week, when it rains, it pours. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, buddy. So good to be here. Thank you very much. And I just want to say, Jippers on a beach. Jippers on a beach. Jippers on a beach. (laughs) Jippers on a beach. (laughs) I, uh, I've had that phrase stuck in my head for days. So if I have anything to thank Mike McMahon for, it's that, I suppose. Um, but I, I think we probably have a lot more to talk about than that. Plus I want to know what a jipper is. I, I haven't the slightest idea, but I'll try it if I can have it on the beach. <laughs> yeah, yes, I second. But uh, no, great to be here. Looking forward to the escape artist. And uh, and hopefully we'll look at Short Treks as a whole. Absolutely. It, it is great to be back, as always, sitting here uh, chatting Discovery with you, man. It's, it's also great to hear from our listeners. Um, so how might they contact us so that they can give us their thoughts about Harry Mudd and the escape artist? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Dan hailing frequencies are open and we're transmitting messages in all languages on all frequencies. And, you know, maybe even we'll get a bounty hunter to sell us to somebody else for jippers on a beach. You can jippers on a beach. You can discover us on Twitter at discovering Trek and on the book of faces. We can be found at facebook.com slash discovering Trek in either place. You can join in on the discussion, leave us comments, questions, suggestions, or maybe even your recipes for your favorite beachside potent potables. Plus don't forget that you can also send us a voicemail by going to trekgeeks.com and clicking on the 
big blue button on the right-hand side of the website. Please do remember, though, that any comments you leave us may be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Okay, so the escape artist. Let's get your general thoughts, man. I, for one, just awesome, awesome, awesome. I loved this episode. It was funny. It was witty. It was so enjoyable. And while The Brightest Star is by far and away the best of the short treks, in my opinion, I think that this is a close second. Um, I love the continuity aspects of this episode and how they tied things together. And as strange as this may sound, it actually left me wanting to see more Harry Mud. And I got to say, I never thought I would hear myself say that in my lifetime. I, I agree with you 100%. You know, on Trek Geeks, I've said before that I am by no means a fan of Harry Mud. In fact, I hate Harry Mud episodes. But I have to give um, Rain Wilson and Discovery uh, a bunch of credit for actually making me enjoy the character now. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went back and watched um, all of the Mud episodes from TOS and the animated series, all three of them. And no, I actually enjoy them a little more now because I think that Rain Wilson's performance informs this later version of Harry Mudd in a retconish kind of way. I I think it's it's really helped me appreciate Roger Carmel quite more. Um, uh, General thoughts. I thought this was so much fun. I um, I wasn't sure what to make of it at first. I'll be honest. But then I got to the end of it and I was just like, wow. Uh, McMahon, uh, Mike McMahon, the writer, um, also is going to be the, uh, the the creative force behind um, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated series. Correct. Uh, just really understood where this character was coming from. And, and Rain Wilson just really, you know, he's Rain Wilson. He's great in everything. You know, I'm a big Dwight Schrute fan from The Office. I have a Dwight Schrute bobblehead. And uh, I, I can't wait to uh, hopefully maybe have a Harry Mud bobblehead someday. <laughs> Hopefully they are. And hear that, CBS? Let's get started on that merchandise. Let's do it. Black alert. Black alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Short Trek's The Escape Artist, unshackle yourself, grab your favorite cudgel, head on over to CBS All Access to check it out, and then come back on here to Discovering Trek for some great Short Trek's discussion. so we find our friend harry mudd in a familiar position in trouble he winds up being sold to a tellerite merchant who wants revenge apparently mudd slept with his sister and stole his cudgel whatever a cudgel is can't wait to find out about that and in the process of of Mud trying to beg and plead for his freedom, we see shades of Mud's dealings before um, all kinds of interesting situations. Well, fast forward, the Tellerite decides he's going to leave Mud with Starfleet. They meet up with Starfleet. Starfleet says, oh, yeah, great. Another Harry Mud. Turns out Harry's an android. The Tellerite's none too pleased. He rips off Harry's arm or faux Harry's arm and winds up being introduced to a whole room full of Harry muds, which I have to believe is the definition of hell in in many worlds in many species. Um, And then we go on our way, you know, the real Harry we see on a ship making more faux Harry's drinking a jipper again, whatever a jipper is, I really want to know because I'd like to try it and heading to where no con man has gone before Dan. Another five-star performance, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> now imagine, 
if there were yeah all off the cuff if there were multiple versions of me it could have been like a, a million star performance you never know <laughs> i appreciate the effort it was great excellent all right so let's get right to it let's get to the breakdowns let's get to our likes and dislikes because this is always a fun part of the show i'm going to start off by saying my number one like for the escape artist was uh, and how could it not be rain freaking wilson uh I, I gotta be honest i've told you this before bill before discovery season one i have never watched anything with rain wilson in it not a single thing I loved this portrayal of Mud uh, in the first two episodes that we saw in season one. And several weeks ago, I actually watched the first episode of The Office based on your recommendation. And I love his character. He's so me and he's so you kind of wrapped up together a little bit. Um, So this short trek really let us see Rain in all his comedic glory while at the same time... um, taking the hairy mud lore that we already know about and just adding to it. And I thought it was fantastic. I, he's also my first, you know, real like of the episode. Rain Wilson is great in everything he's in. I mean, you know, when we were at STLV this past summer, they were people cosplaying as the, uh, the, the, was it the Thermians from galaxy quest, which is rain Wilson's first real yes. movie role. Mm-hmm. And he just thought that was the best. He stopped. He took a photo with him. He posted it on his own social media. He leaves an imprint on just about everything he does, whether it's Six Feet Under an HBO or The Office or whatever it is. And in this case, he clearly puts his own stamp on Harry Mudd in a beautiful way and brings a level of scoundrelousness to this character that really it's been lacking since Mud's women. You figure in TOS, Harry Mudd is not a nice guy. He's a very unsavory character who's essentially selling women into arranged marriages with minors and other lonely type people all over the galaxy using a special drug. Um, so, you know, he he takes that and builds a bridge to the mud that we met in TOS and does it in a really entertaining and interesting fashion. So when you also consider that he directed the episode, he really just has a lights out performance on you know, on either side of the camera in this episode, without a doubt. I have to actually go back and correct myself because I completely forgot that Rain Wilson was in Galaxy Quest. Yeah. And I, and I have seen that one several times. I think that's the only thing uh, of, of Rain's that I've seen. You know, um, I got to say hi to him very quickly um, at the Discovery premiere out in Hollywood a couple of years ago. He was a lot of fun to be there. He was joking around the whole time. And he seems to have a lot of fun with the fans, as you mentioned, STLV and, and stuff like that. So he seems to be the type of person who appreciates what he's um, uh, giving to Trek. And we certainly appreciate uh, what he has given to us as fans. So uh, I love what he's been doing. And and like I said, I hope we see him again. I'd love to see him direct an episode based on what we saw in his directing in this. So we'll see what happens. Uh, my second like, Bill, is kind of a, an interesting one for me. And that's the Tellarite that was in this episode. I was really intrigued in how the Tellarites were portrayed and how they looked in Discovery Season 1. They were more feral looking. Uh, they were more imposing than what we're used to seeing. Um, but as with most episodes that we've ever seen Tellarites in, they really don't do much. They just stand around. I mean, the one that pops into my head, of course, is the TOS episode with uh, um, uh, Spock's father and, and, and so on. Um, and we didn't really see them do much until this episode. I really love the bounty hunter captain 
And what I really liked about him was whenever he talked, and my wife loved this as well, he'd always grunt afterward like a pig. And I thought it was just it was just another one of those funny moments of the episode that made it really work. And it was a highlight for me. And based on what we saw with this one Tellarite, I really hope we get to see more of them going forward. I have to agree with you. I, I've i never been a huge Tellarite guy. I know that our friend Larry Nemechek is, is a, a Tellarite apologist for all intents and purposes. <laughs> Loves Tellarites with every fiber of his being. I like where the Tellarites are because, like you said, in TOS, Journey to Babel, I don't take them very seriously. In fact, I took them about as seriously as I took the Ferengi in Next Gen. Wow. Um, I know. But in <laughs> in Discovery, I think we've kind of taken a look that is even better than the one on Enterprise. And we've we've made them a little more fearsome. We've made them a little more um, dangerous looking. And I think that really brings an interesting quality to the Tellarites, especially mm-hmm. this particular one. Um, so yeah, that one absolutely works for me. My second like of the episode has to be Mike McMahon. I mean, he turns in a solid script here. Um, like I said, at first I wasn't exactly sure how to feel about it. And then upon successive rewatches, I decided, you know, he really understands who Harry Mudd is. This gives me great hope for Star Trek Lower Decks, something that I was not excited about when it was announced. Right. I have a feeling that since I, I get the sense he understands the tone and the character building of Star Trek, I have a feeling that he's probably the perfect person to take this project on. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I really like what he did there in, here in this short. And I mean, I hope he gets to contribute to a full length episode at some point, you know, whether a story idea or an actual script. I think that would be really interesting because I, I have a feeling he'd take us in a different direction. And I'm intrigued by that. Yeah, one of the things that we've talked about since the beginning of Discovery is the amazing writer's room and what they've contributed to the show, no matter who it is. And this one certainly stands out as one of the, I think one of the things I like the most about this is it's one of the more memorable written episodes. You yeah. don't expect the things that we that we see in this episode when you're watching Star Trek, and I think that was definitely a bonus. Uh, my third uh, um, like in this is a little... A little confusing because I'm not sure if I'm correct, but when has that ever stopped me before? So I'll just never and, and give never. it to you. Sure. I'm going to say the the homage to, to TOS in this episode. Um, when we first realized that Mud was an android and there were a lot of them, I audibly whooped in my living room because it made me think instantly about the androids and I, Mud. Now, I'm not exactly sure where this falls in the line, but it makes me think that it's trying to tie it together a little bit with the androids and with Norman that we're going to see later on. Um, I know that Mud talked about in that episode how he crash landed on the planet with the androids, but I still do like, and I couldn't help but think that this was all somehow tied together. But the thing that really stood out to me, and it's just a small thing, but I'm sure it's everything. It's the one thing that every Star Trek fan jumped on and loved is that one of the duplicate Muds was actually wearing the blue jacket with those gold epaulets that we see (laughs) Mud wear in TOS. And I was just smiling from ear to ear. And for me, this was just a great example of what the writers have been promising us. They have a plan, they stick to the plan, and they explain things that people have been asking questions about since Discovery started. This attention to detail is what I love about the writers in Star Trek Discovery, and I thought it was brilliant, and I thought it was perfectly executed in that specific scene. Absolutely. I'm going to dovetail on that with my third like of the episode, which is humor. You know, one of the things that Star Trek has always done really well is inserting humorous aspects or even entire humorous episodes to break up the drama uh, of a given season. TOS did it really well. Next Gen, all the other series. 
had their forays into humor and this short treks is no exception you know uh, it's, it's it's interesting because we have a very serious situation here and that harry mudd has been captured but the circumstances around it kind of make you laugh you know here's harry he's always figured a way out of it i mean thus the title of the escape artist and all you can do is sit back and just appreciate the lengths he went to whenever we see harry mudd he's always dealing with some kind of new technology or new advance, whether it's the Venus drug or whether it's the planet of androids or whether it's a, a, a time shifting bracelet, you know, that, that causes you to back up in time and magic to make the sanest man go mad. Um, and, and this is really no exception. He's, he's got a fleet of his a fleet of Harry's. Let's just be honest <laughs> about that. And I like the fact that we have to question where this takes place in the timeline. You know, some of the charges they read off, we don't hear again in TOS, but, you know, it could happen before it could happen after based on, mm-hmm. you know, all the androids. And like you said, the, the jacket with the gold epaulets, you know, or if it does happen before TOS, maybe he gets his record expunged for something that happens in between now and then in the next nine years. We don't know. So there's plenty to scratch our heads over. There's plenty that you know, we can fill in the details in our own minds and still be 100% true to canon, which is the thing I like about this episode. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned a, a moment ago that the way that Trek has been able to to do humor well. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode how it's not seen, in my opinion, enough, but I do agree. When it's done, it's done right. This may be one of the best examples of comedic Trek at least that I can think of. I mean, there's always great ones. There's a piece of the action. There's there's all kinds of good ones that we can talk about. But this one really, it made me laugh out loud, which is something that I don't recall doing when I've seen some of the comedic episodes for the first time. And a perfect example is when the, when Harry had his flashbacks, how he would use the exact same dialogue no matter what situation he was in. It made me laugh out loud. It was I thought it was I thought it was great. Well, you know, at at the end of the day, Star Trek is, you know, a a dramatic series. We're not talking about the Orville here. You know, this is not designed to make light of Star Trek. Life has funny moments, and Mm -hmm. so does Star Trek. Um, And I'm glad that they embraced it the way they did. And honestly, I don't think this episode works nearly as well with anyone other than Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd. I just think he's able to balance that line so expertly. Mm-hmm. Um, with some of the, uh, you know, the, the other projects he's worked on in his career, he just, he nails this from start to finish. It's the perfect homage to Roger Carmel. And it's the perfect performance as somebody carrying on this role as his very own. It's just, it's so outstanding what he does. And I don't think that he's getting quite enough credit for it. Uh, we'll give him all the credit he needs. That's for sure. So we have, uh, I was going to say six, but we have five likes because we both picked Rain as as our number one like. So lots of likes. I really don't think we're going to have too many things to discuss in terms of dislikes. I really had to sit back and scratch my head for a few minutes to think of one. And 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 one that I came up with, in all honesty, is this episode was so enjoyable and so much fun and made me wanting more mud that I think it was too short. This is the first of the short treks that I wish was longer because I wanted to see more Harry Mudd. You know, the, um, there was the first short trek that I thought would have been perfect. Uh, excuse me. This is the first short trek that I think they could have added 30 minutes to and made it a complete episode. Um, while the brightest star was the best of the short treks, in my opinion, I think that the episode was at the right length to tell that important story of Saru. 
Um, this one was a fun, exciting episode that I wish could have been longer. And I think that goes towards crediting, like we've been talking about, Rain for what he did in it. Agreed. Um, I think that the length is probably one of my dislikes, too. I agree with you. It could have been longer. The Brightest Star didn't need to be longer. It told a concise story in the time frame that it had. And although they could have added more to it, they didn't need to. It was such a perfect exposition to the day Saru decided that there was more to life. You know, um, the escape artist does so well what Runaway had hoped to do. Um, Tilly is a fantastic character. Mary Wiseman is a wonderful actress. And they did their best to try to insert some levity using that episode. But I don't think it worked a tenth as well as this one did. And I think part of that is having people who understand Trek and know how to write characters the way that Mike McMahon does. Um, could they have added 30 minutes to this? Yes. Would it have been entertaining? Absolutely. I don't think that that script would have suffered at all. Could this episode have been longer? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, do I think it suffered as a result? No. Right. But yeah. when you start to see more Harry Mud like this, you want more Harry Mud. Right. Yeah. It, it's a dislike, not so much that it suffered because it was short. It's yeah. a dislike because we want more. So uh, what else did you have for dislikes? I really didn't have anything else that I could think of for the past couple of days. I've been trying to think of things that I might be like, okay, I didn't like this. I, I, I guess if I was going to choose anything else, I touched upon it briefly is where is this in the, in the, in the, in the timeline um, with the androids and the androids on the crash planet? Does it all tie together somehow? That's kind of a question mark. I certainly it's not a certainly a, it's it's not a big issue for me, but it is something that it's in my mind. I'll agree with you there. I, I think I'd like to know a little more specifically where this is in the timeline. Um, other than that, I, 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 I think my only other dislike would have to be uh, that I wish there was a Harry Mudd series because I would watch the hell out of it. <laughs> um, I, I really would, because I think that this. This adds the the scoundrelessness that I talked about earlier that we wish Harry Mudd had had in Mudd's Women. You know, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, in uh, in I Mud, I Mud, I Mud, yeah, and also in um in the animated series episode, um, it, it, which is essentially a ripoff of uh, of Mudd's Women in a way. Um, so I, I wish I wish they had greenlit, you know, like a um a maybe a Harry Mudd miniseries maybe a, a shorter run series or maybe even a full length Harry Mudd series. Cause I would find that incredibly entertaining with what rain Wilson is doing. Other than that, there really isn't much to dislike about this episode. I think it's, I think they ended super strong with this one mm -hmm. uh, to put us in the right frame of mind for discovery coming back in, in two weeks time when this aired. It's funny how one person, uh, it, all it takes is one man with a vision. Um, I'd never in a thousand years would have thought of wanting to, to see more Harry Mudd or or know more about the character. But his reign's portrayal of this guy, just like you said, it's changed everything. It's changed the whole scope. And we want to see more about what he does and what he's been through. I think it's fantastic. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Were you surprised when uh, at the end of the episode when the what looked like a female character took off the mask and it was Harry? Only slightly because I didn't really pay enough attention to that character the first time. Mm -hmm. I figured it was secondary to what was going on in the scene, and I was wrong. I got faked out. Yeah. Um, and that kind of makes the whole thing even more fun to me to go back and watch and go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that is Harry Mudd. I didn't even think about it. I saw, I've, 
I sounded kind of stupid when it was happening because he, she was sitting in the chair and starts taking a mask off. And I looked at my wife and I said, I wonder if that's Stella, which makes absolutely no sense at all. But no, I um, thought the same thing. Oh, OK, good. So we're both wrong. Uh, <laughs> so, but uh, uh, it, it, it did surprise me. And then I just started laughing again because it just it just shows that he's been making tons of profit off of this whole scam. Uh, because he's the man behind the mask. I thought it was a great, great little twist at the end. Well, I guess I want to know what happened to Stella, too, since we last th- saw her on Discovery. Mm. You know, when she and her dad were taking Harry back to a life of uh, uh, of upright, you know, uh, <laughs> uprightedness, if you will. <laughs> his, leaving behind his, his criminal ways and shaking off those shackles, which apparently works so well. Um, but I would have liked to have learned maybe a little snippet of where she was at the time, because, mm-hmm. um, why would she keep wanting that guy around? I just, I got to know that could tie into the whole, when did this episode take place thing? Very true. Yeah. I guess we'll maybe someday we'll find out. Dan, as we finish up short treks, we are just days away from the season two premiere of discovery and our friends at Fansets are really busy preparing some pretty special pins for season two, aren't they? Absolutely, they are, man. You know, we loved the episodic pins from season one, and we are proud to announce here on Discovering Trek to the entire world that season two will once again bring special episodic pins to all of you collectors. As with last season, there's going to be a special pin for each episode of season two with the episode number and title and a special image from the episode. But unlike last season, These pins will be available to purchase on an individual basis instead of as a whole set. And the prices for these pins will remain the same as last year's $20 for the first and last episodes of the season, because they're larger and $15 for all episodes in between. Oh, that is such fantastic news, Dan. Now keep in mind, friends, that these pins will be limited to only 200 pins per episode. So don't delay in getting yours while they last. Dan and I have actually seen the first couple of pins, and believe me, you will not want to miss adding these to your collection. Look for the first episodic pins to be available in the coming days over at fansets.com. Fansets is pinpoint accuracy. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. Okay, buddy. So Short Treks has ended, at least for now, that we know of. Four episodes, four varying levels of what we liked and what we disliked. So let's talk about that for a few minutes, kind of taking the whole thing into consideration instead of just the escape artists this week. Um, So let me ask you, did Short Treks work for you? You mean in general? Yeah, in general, was this something that was that that you can give your thumbs up to and you'd like to see again, possibly? Okay. Or is it something that, you know, I, I understand they're trying to fill in before season two started, but it just it wasn't it wasn't what I expected. What did you think? I think that in my mind, you know, Short Treks was supposed to be something that sort of, you know, uh, appeased us until we got to season two of, of Discovery. You know, it was starting later in the year than season one did. You know, season one started in September and this one is starting in uh, in January. So I feel like it was designed to sort of bridge that gap of, of what people expected. Because by this point, Trek will have been off the air for 10 months unless they do this. So I think that in that regard, uh, sort of an amuse-bouche in a way, I think it works. I don't think the concept worked nearly as well at first. And I'm going to talk about that a little later on. But mm-hmm. I think that it finished incredibly strong. Um, I, 
I, I was hoping from short tracks that these would be more explorations of characters that we knew and providing more backstory, kind of like the last two did. Mm -hmm. Because there are so many characters on Discovery we know nothing about. You know, uh, the bridge crew, for example. Right. I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, you got... Uh, Detmer. Uh, start with Detmer. I want to know about yeah. that eye implant. You know, mm -hmm. I want to know how this bridge crew came to be the bridge crew. Um, how they came together, how they were selected, you know, maybe their time before discovery, maybe there's something they went through with the Academy, who knows, mm -hmm. but I wanted it to sort of paint on that canvas. The Saru episode, I think did that perfectly. This episode, I think provides that detail to Harry mud that is super interesting. And I think that that worked really well. Whereas I, I think with the first two episodes, I don't think it was nearly as successful in doing that. So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying, yeah, I think as a concept, I, I think it worked. Um, and I think that if they go forward with it, which is something I would enjoy, I think it should be more like the second two episodes than the first. Right. I agree with you. And you, and you took some of the words right out of my mouth. I expected, you know, we, we saw the announcement um, last year that, they want more Trek and more Trek was coming. And I think this was the first um, real more Trek that we have seen since discovery started. And I was very much looking forward to it. And I was very disappointed to be honest, after the first two episodes, I felt that at that time it was just being used as filler and there wasn't really a lot of attention being given to it. Now, like you said, um, the episodes uh, runaway had some great Mary Wiseman points to it. We both were kind of meh. To, to use one of your phrases from Trek Geeks on it, I totally did not like Calypso. I thought it was very disappointing. But then episodes three and four of Short Treks took place and really changed my mind. It's kind of what we've talked about before with previous seasons of Star Trek. The first season or maybe the first two seasons kind of take a while for things to get going, and it really starts taking off after that. I think Short Treks can be just can be the exact same thing in a condensed version. The first two episodes, eh, three and four, right off the charts and how great they were. So if they decide to continue this in the future, I think it can be very successful if they build upon what they've built upon so far. Um, I think it can be very successful. If it's going to be kind of a going back and starting from scratch again, I'm a little concerned. Another long-winded answer like yours I think it worked as a concept based on what we saw for the wrap up of the last two episodes and the last two episodes really saved the entire idea of short tracks. And for me made it a successful um, in between season um, filling of Star Trek. It's the kind of thing where I would like to see on a regular basis. You know, uh, obviously we have the Picard series coming later and theoretically in 2019, assuming no delays. Um, I'd love to see more short tracks this summer, maybe after the discovery season finishes, um, you know, that they've talked about wanting to keep Star Trek on CBS All Access year round at some point or new Star Trek in, in any event. I think maybe turning short tracks into its own little anthology series within Star Trek, I think is a fabulous idea. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's give it its own budget. Let's you know, let's turn this into a thing, because I think there's so much to mine from these episodes, provided they're done well. One of the things that I was looking forward to seeing with Short Treks, and I think we still have a chance of seeing it, is I'm like, okay, when we heard what they were doing and the titles of the episodes and who they were focusing on, I'm like, oh, this is going to give us an idea of maybe something we're going to see in season two. Runaway, possibly. We don't know. Calypso, absolutely not. I don't think there's any chance that we see anything related to that in season two. 
I know for a fact, based on what we've seen in the trailer, that um, The Brightest Star has a tie to season two. And I really hope that something with Harry Mudd comes along um, again during the season. So it's a it's something that I'm looking forward to seeing if that hope comes true. We'll see what happens. I'm of the mindset where I think the only one we're going to see some some continuation of is The Brightest Star, like you said, because mm-hmm. we know that for a fact. I don't think we're going to see it with Runaway. I, I don't think we're going to see it. I know we're not going to see it with Calypso, and I really <laughs> don't think we'll see it with Escape Artist, uh, although it would be nice. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Right. Um, but I think that the only one that for sure that we know we're going to have something mined from is The Brightest Star, and I think that that's uh, obvious. I think it's the perfect one to choose from, quite frankly. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So we've talked about whether we thought it worked, um, which I think we both agree that it did after seeing the last two episodes. Let's stack them up like a nice little sandwich for that chipper on the beach, man. Let's talk about what your favorite was all the way down to your least favorite or in reverse order, whichever you want. How would you rank these four short tracks? I think I know the answer, but I'm sure our listeners want to hear it. I'm going to, I'm going to start in reverse order. Um, because we've talked a lot about you know the, the two best ones. Uh, in the number four slot, coming at the bottom is Calypso for me. Uh, it's like you said so very well in the episode we did on Calypso. This could have been done on any science fiction show on any ship. It could have been Battlestar Galactica or Firefly or you know Buck Rogers in the 25th century because there was nothing that made this specifically Star Trek. I get that Michael Chabon wanted to do it without the typical trappings of Star Trek, but unfortunately it appears that that meant without any Star Trek whatsoever. Um, I can only hope that um, he you know, has more focus on Star Trek in the Picard series, which he is also attached to write for. And with Sir Patrick on board, I think that'll be the case. But I think it definitely was the weakest of all the performers, despite telling an entertaining story. And number three is Runaway. I get what they were trying to do with Runaway, and I think that Runaway was just slightly better than Calypso. Um, Mary Wiseman really was the best part about it. I thought the writing of that was just confusing uh, and confused, which I think are two different things. and it just, it really didn't work for me. I thought it was a poor first one to start with. Um, and then there's a wide gap between number three and number two, because I think there's a real separation at number two. I do have the escape artist because I think it is, um, head and shoulders above runaway by so many, <laughs> so many lengths, man. Um, it, it's, it's what runaway could have been if it had been written a 10th as well. And then of course the best one in my mind has to be, the brightest star, this roof story written by Bo Young Kim and, and Erica Lippold and um, directed so well by Doug Arniakoski. It, it was just, it was what you want in a backstory. It was what you want in an introductory piece, you know, in some exposition. I, I thought it was so, so well done that it not only gave me more about Saru, but it really informed me as to where he is today right now. So um, I don't think they get much better than that. And here's hoping that they take the success of the last two and springboard off it. What about you? Well, uh, it's going to be kind of boring, but uh, my list is exactly the same as yours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Calypso comes in at the bottom. Of course, uh, we talked about it at length. You're absolutely right. Like I said um, on that episode, this could have taken place on any science fiction television show. The only thing that was Star Trek about this is that it took place on Discovery, and that's not important enough for me to give it something that I really appreciated. Unfortunately, I don't really have anything good to say about this episode. It was a a huge disappointment for me. So it came in at number four. Uh, Number three was Runaway. Uh, I thought Mary Wiseman did a great job 
with what she was given. And that's the key to why this episode wasn't as great as it could have been. She wasn't given enough to really let her character shine. There were far too many plot holes and story holes in this episode. Um, and that unfortunately made it suffer. It was an unbelievably strong episode um, with the two women being involved in it and having a great dialogue and what was going on. But unfortunately, the lack of of solid writing is what made that episode for me suffer. So that came in at number three. Um, as with you, Escape Artist was my second favorite. It was a brilliant story. It was brilliantly acted, brilliantly directed, and it made me want more Harry Mud. And if anybody can ever do anything to make anyone say, I want more Harry Mud, that has to be a story that's at the top of your list. So very <laughs> good with that one. And like you, number one, by far and away for me was the brightest star. This is exactly the story that I had been hoping for from Bowie and Erica. They did not disappoint in the slightest. It was a phenomenal Saru story. It was one of my favorite, if not my favorite character on Star Trek Discovery. It was brilliantly done by Doug Jones as every second of screen time that he has, he always shines on. This was for me the truest Star Trek story. His quote at the end of the episode, which I know is very strong with you, and I'm going to have you say it because you say it much better than I do, is what this episode meant to me the most. He was able to um, tell us a story in 15 minutes time about what happened to change Saru's life forever. It answered questions about why Saru is the only Kelpian, and I loved it. I thought it was great. So that's my list, man. I got to say that quote really has become quite impactful to me. You know, I have a piece coming to star Trek.com soon about Saru and anxiety and that one line, that quote, or actually it's three lines, I suppose. Um, you know, I saw hope in the stars. It was stronger than fear. And I went towards it. You know, it, it, it informs everything you need to know about Saru in three sentences. It explains why he's in Starfleet. It explains why he is the way he is and what he works to combat every single day. So uh, couldn't agree more with your list, obviously, because we shared it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what they say, great minds think alike. That is true. I went towards it. That is the definition of what the hope is in Star Trek. And it was it was a, an amazing way to end the best short Trek episode. Well, you know, going boldly doesn't mean going without fear. And exactly. I think that, that that tells us a lot and, and gives us a lot to key in on, perhaps, for season two. Season two is only coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll get to that in a minute. Well, actually, that's a great segue. Long-range scan of planet complete. I don't know if there's really a lot of long-range scans that we can give when we're relating that to the escape artist. But do you have any thoughts about anything that we're going to see uh, in season two or more forward with regards to the escape artist. I don't know. I get this sneaking suspicion. Nothing's been announced mm-hmm. that we're going to see Harry Mudd again. I just, I get this feeling, man. I, I don't know what it is uh, in watching this episode. I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be the Harry Mudd and not some sort of, you know, clone or replicant or, or mm-hmm. whatever. But I have a feeling that Rain Wilson is going to be putting on the epaulets again. And uh, I just, I don't know when, I just, it's just a gut feeling I have. I, I hope I'm right. I won't be surprised if I'm wrong because that seems to be the way these things go. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you that I want to see something with Harry going forward. 
Now, like you said, nothing has been announced. And I got to say, when we last saw Harry Mudd in that second episode of Discovery Season 1, one of the things I said here on Discovering Trek was, I love the way that they closed the character of Harry Mudd being seen in Star Trek until TOS. And that was with the TOS fanfare music as he was leaving on his ship. I thought that was beautiful. I thought that was the last we were going to see of him. And then we had the announcement that we were going to see him in a short trek. And I'm like, okay, this will be a great way to wrap up finally seeing Harry Mudd. And now I got to say, based on the popularity of what I've seen on social media with this particular short trek, I would not be surprised at all if we see him again in the future. And I, for one, really want to see him. Well, Bill, here we are. I got to tell you, man, this is something that I have been waiting for since we last saw Discovery when the Enterprise was there nose to nose with her at the end of season one. Next time we sit down in front of our microphones here on Discovering Trek, season two will be here and we are going to be ready to talk about it each and every week, man. That's right, Dan, in less than two weeks. It's the return of weekly episode discussion on Discovering Trek, the premier Star Trek Discovery podcast. Disco sophomore season kicks off with episode one, brother and as christopher pike suggests we will be bold be brave and be courageous in our discussion of the season premiere joining us to examine the episode will be our friend shashank avaru from politrex on the tricorder transmissions network of podcasts we're going to look at what the episode has to teach us about humanity today make some predictions some of which we hope may be right someday and of course don't forget those episode recaps. They are the thing of legend, or so I'm told. Until then, of course, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading on over to discoveringtrek.com. Dan. Thanks, Bill. Well, folks, that is it for now. I want to take a special moment here to thank the entire cast and crew of Star Trek Discovery for filling the void these last few months with short treks. We as fans always long for more Trek, and these four episodes made the wait for Season 2 just a little easier to bear. We love what you do, and we look forward to what you have in store for us in Season 2. And we also want to thank you, our listeners, for taking your time out of your busy schedule to listen to us talk Star Trek Discovery. As Bill said, we'll be back in just a couple of weeks to kick off our Season 2 discussions, and we cannot wait. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from... (laughs) Hardcourt, Fenton Mud. Human beings do not survive on bread alone, but on the nourishments of liberty. For what indeed is a man without freedom? Not but a mechanism trapped in the cogwheels of eternity. And until next time, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.